Good morning, Grace. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, what powerful worship today, huh? So moving. Uh, this summer, we have been studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And why would we spend an entire summer learning this, this sermon, going through the Sermon on the Mount? Well, for centuries now, Christians and, and even many non-Christians have said this sermon is the best teacher in human history, teaching the best sermon that's ever been taught. That's why. And today's passage that we're going to be studying, this is the final truth that Jesus chose to communicate to his disciples in this famous sermon. This is the last thing that he wants us to hear. It is the capstone of, of this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what he's going to say to us in, in this passage is, this is what I want you, this is what I want from you. This is how I want you to live the Christian life. This is going to be the king telling us as, as his people, as members of his kingdom, how he wants us to live in his kingdom. So the question that, that Jesus is going to be answering today in the passage that we're going to be in is this. When we hear his teaching, what will the wise person do with it? When a wise person hears uh, the, the truths that Jesus communicates in, in the lessons that he, that he teaches and preaches, what will they do with that truth that the foolish person won't do? And you might think that Jesus would say that, well, the wise person, when they hear his teaching, uh, they're going to listen and not ignore those teachings. You might think that he'd say we, we ought to memorize them and, and not forget them or, or meditate on them or share them with others who don't know them and not just keep them to ourselves. But surprisingly, he doesn't say any of those things at least not here. Now today in this passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say this, that the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is that the wise always applies. The wise always applies. When a wise person hears Jesus' teaching, that person seeks out ways to put those teachings into practice, seeks to obey them, to, to do them. You can see that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 26. Jesus, he says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. The difference between the wise and the fool is the wise always applies. The wise seeks ways to put Jesus' words in, into practice. And the Greek word that Jesus used for put it into practice is super complex, do you know what it is? It means do it. <laughs> it means act on it. It means obey it. it. It means grab a hold of that truth and don't let go until you have taken it into, into the substance of, of your character, your, your mind, your emotion, your will, your, your life, your theology. Work it into who you are. Do it. Put it into practice. That's what the wise do. The wise always applies. And Jesus, uh, he, says, he says this, that these words of mine are, are what we're to apply. And, and of course, he's referring to this sermon that he's just taught, right? Sermon on the Mount. These words I've just taught you, put them into practice. But of course, he, he's extending this. This also includes all of the Bible, all of God's word. It, it covers the entire scripture. And so what he's saying is that anytime you go to the Bible to, to read it, to enjoy it, to read it for personal devotion or or uh, to prepare to share it or to teach it to somebody. He says, as, as a wise person, as a follower of mine, as a disciple, you want to be wise, this is what you do. You go to it eager to put it into practice, looking for ways to get it into your own life. When you hear a sermon, a, a biblical lesson, 
as you're listening to that, what you're doing is you're thinking of the different ways that that truth in that passage ought to form your, your character, your theology, your very heart, your relationships, the way you interact with others. The wise always applies, and this is what, what the, wise, the wise person does. Look, there are two ways that we can go wrong when it comes to the Bible. Uh, the first is that we don't hear it at all. We don't hear it at all. We, we don't listen to it. We don't know it. The Bible is just a, an unused app on our phone or it's a dusty book on a bookshelf. We don't hear it at all. And it's probably not news to any of us that biblical illiteracy is a serious issue in the American church. And it's getting worse, not better. We all probably know that. In fact, as an example, a couple years ago, there was a Barna poll that went out and surveyed Christians, what they think about the Bible, what they know about the Bible. And, and this poll found that many Christians believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. You know, because Noah built the ark. Found that many Christians believe that the Sermon on the Mount that we're studying now, that it was first taught by Billy Graham. He was a good preacher. He was good. Uh, my favorite, that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. It, it's humorous, and at the same time, I share that because one of the things we as a church want to do is we want to help with this. We, we want to help all of us, our congregation here at Grace, to, to grow in our ability, our understanding of, of what the Bible says, what it means, and how it applies. And one of the ways that we want to do that is, is through our central teachings team. This is a team of individuals who love the Lord, who love Scripture, and, and really their core purpose is, as they teach on Sunday mornings throughout the year, their core purpose, or at least one of them, is that they want to raise the tide of biblical knowledge here at Grace. They, they want to raise the tide of, of theological understanding among all of us because you can't apply what you don't know. If, if this is a need that you see in your life, that this is an area that you want to, that you need to grow in, just, just knowing the Bible, understanding Scripture, having a deeper understanding of God and, and His character, knowing Him more intimately, then I encourage you, go to our website, click on Courses, and, and see what, what our, our um, offerings are going to be this fall. Central Teachings, they're going to be teaching a course this fall. It's called Kingdoms, Castles, and Christ. Doesn't that sound cool? And they're going to be teaching on what does the Bible say about God's perspective on authority, on government, and, and it's going to be an opportunity to, to take those truths from Scripture, to understand God's view, and to take that on as our own, to apply it, to put it into practice in our own perspective on government, on authority, on, on these things. So that's an opportunity for you if this is an area that you want to grow in in your life. You see, one way we can go wrong when it comes to the Bible is that we don't hear it, we don't learn it, we don't know it. And, and, and I don't want that for us. We as a church don't want that for us. And so if we're not taking in a scripture, if, if we're not doing those things, if we're not putting ourselves in a place to understand the Bible and, and God more intimately, then what happens is we become spiritually emaciated. Our soul and, and our spirit suffer from spiritual malnutrition. A second way that we can go wrong is really what Jesus teaches about in this passage that we're in today. And that is that we hear it, but we don't apply it. We hear it, but we don't apply it. And, and that's, what, that's what we see uh, what the fool does, right? In verse 26, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. The fool hears Jesus' teaching, but doesn't put them into practice, doesn't apply them. But what's disconcerting to me is how much the fool actually gets right. The fool goes to Jesus for teaching, 
for learning and not some other teacher. The fool goes to Jesus and then stays, like chooses to stay and listen and, and to learn. The fool does these things, gets these things right, but, and do you know where the fool would be right now on a Sunday morning? Probably right here in a church, in a place like this. That's where a fool would be, uh, probably eager to hear the word of God, to, to learn from Jesus, inspired by what he hears, probably even plans to come back next week. But the one thing the fool doesn't do is the very thing that makes him a fool. The fool doesn't apply it. The fool doesn't take that truth and bring it into his life in, in some, some meaningful way. And you, you look at even this warning that Jesus has given. This warning is not for somebody out there. This warning is for us. When, this, when the sermon starts at the beginning of Matthew 5, Matthew writes that, that Jesus, he sits down on the mountainside and he began to teach his disciples. This caution was for them. This caution is for us as his disciples. Even the verb that Jesus uses in this, this short story, the verb that he uses, this word for hear, it actually means hear and obey. You see, he intends for us to marry those two, to keep those two together at all times. Surely, if we come to Jesus to hear him, to hear his teachings, surely, absolutely, certainly, we would be there to obey as well, right? He says, no, no, it's, it's hear and obey. It's not just hear, not hear and walk away and forget. It's hear and obey. Jesus is a little bit like the seasoned pastor who started working at a new church. On his first Sunday, he walked up onto the stage and taught an awesome sermon. I mean, everybody loved it. Several of the congregants came up to him afterward and, and shook his hand and said, thank you very much. You know, that was, that was a really great sermon. We're so glad you're here. Second Sunday, the pastor walks back up onto the stage, preaches the exact same sermon, okay? Same passage, same points, same everything. The congregation thought, that was kind of weird. Just taught that exact sermon a week ago. It's like, everything okay with this guy? You know, what, what's going on here? But it was a good sermon, so they gave him the benefit of the doubt. Third Sunday, he walks back onto that stage, preaches the exact same sermon a third time. And now the congregation, they're just mad. You know, they are livid. After the service, several of them rush up to the pastor and say, what are you doing? You just preached the same sermon three Sundays in a row. Like, what's going on here? And the pastor calmly said, as soon as you start applying this passage, we'll move on to the next one. You see, Jesus, he's, he's saying to us, it's not simply about hearing my teachings. It's not just about listening to them, reading them. That's not how he keeps score. He says, it's about doing my teachings. It's about taking those and, and, and bringing them into, into our lives and making them a, a part of who we are, how we live the Christian life and how we follow him. That, that's what he's saying here. You see, a, a second way that we can go wrong is, is we hear the word, but we don't apply it. We don't put it into practice. Here's a way to think about it. When, when we do this, when we hear the Bible, but we don't apply it, here's a way to think about it. We become a spiritual swamp. You know, think about a swamp. You got all this good stuff going in, but nothing gets out, right? It's all stuck there, and we get stuck. And like a swamp, over time, we begin to stink. Another way to think about it, when our spiritual calorie intake, consumption, exceeds our spiritual calorie expenditure, we become spiritually obese. When, when our biblical knowledge, 
when we take that and when we consume it and we don't turn it into fuel for becoming like Christ in all of life or fuel for ministry, we become spiritually bloated. And that's the image that the Apostle Paul paints in 1 Corinthians 8 where he says knowledge puffs up. He said when we take in uh, spiritual, biblical knowledge and we don't use that as fuel for loving others more deeply, that's knowledge that puffs us up. It's knowledge that, that bloats us. We become people who have all the right answers, but not an ounce of humility. You know, we can ace a Bible test, but we don't know how to love others very well. And the gap between our biblical knowledge and our application of that knowledge, that gap, is very likely the measure of our pride. It's the measure of our arrogance. And, and so that's what Jesus is telling us, that that this, in this gap, in this space, that is where the seed of Phariseeism can be planted. And that's where it takes root, and that's where it grows. And eventually takes over. And the larger that gap, the more chance it has to, to grow and to spread in our lives. So how do we avoid becoming a spiritual swamp? I don't want to be that. I know you don't want to be that. You know, how do we run from spiritual obesity? Well, here's one way we can. Apply every time. The wise always applies, and, and so apply every time. Every time you read the Bible, every time you hear a, a lesson from Scripture or, or you do a Bible study of some kind, look for one way to immediately bring that, that truth, that passage, that, that, that reality from God into your life and, and bring it into your character, your view of God, the way you, you treat others, the way you see the world. Look for an immediate way to do that. And that doesn't always mean, application doesn't always mean go do something, okay? Sometimes it does. But sometimes it means let this truth, let this passage of this lesson, let it change your mind. You know, let it reorient the, the grasp that you have of, of God's justice or his mercy and the depth at which you understand and, and appreciate and love that about the Lord. That passage or lesson, maybe it's, it's gonna challenge your values, and, and it's going to cause you to reprioritize how much time you devote to Netflix or, or something else or how much of your value, of your identity you, you get from work. It might challenge or change your will and the choices that you're making about how you use humor in relationships, whether it's for good or for harm. There's a lot of ways to apply, but apply every time. One thoughtful theologian had this idea of applying every time in mind when he wrote this. He said, it is better in one year to have 10 good verses transferred into the substance of our lives than to have every word of the Bible flash before our eyes. Let me read that one more time. It says it's better in one year to have 10 good verses transferred into the substance of our lives than to have every word of the Bible flash before our eyes. And he's just agreeing with Jesus. He's just saying your soul and your spirit will be so much healthier. If you take 10 verses of scripture, 10 Bible verses, and you aggressively apply those for 365 days as opposed to, to rushing through the entire Bible and not having the time or the capacity to apply it, to put it into practice in some way in your life. If you were to apply this to sermons, uh, I might say this, that it's better to take in one sermon a week and apply it for seven days than to hear seven sermon podcasts a week and not have the energy or the ability to, to put them into practice. Right? The time, the capacity, the margin to be able to do that. You see, when it comes to applying Scripture, bringing this biblical knowledge into our very souls, uh, we need to go deep, not wide most of the time. 
That's where the spirit has space to, to really to transfer it, to bring it into, as that writer said, the substance of who we are. So it's not just up here. It's not stuck in our heads. It's in our very being. Speaking of sermons, did you know that one of the biggest encouragements that, that you could offer Matt after he preaches a sermon or, or the teacher of your Bible study or teacher of your community is not to say great job? One of the best ways to encourage somebody in a position like that is to say, you know, I appreciated that lesson, and this is how I plan to apply it. Like, this is what I plan to do with it. Any, any communicator, small group leader is going to love to hear that. That's what Jesus says counts. It's not just do you know it. It's not just are you hearing it. Are you applying it? So, so look for a way to, to maybe encourage in that way. Look, do you want to become like Christ in all of life and help others do the same? If you want to do that, then, then here's one way to do it. You, you are focused on applying every time. You hear a sermon, you read a passage, and you look for one way. Where, where, kind of rummage around your life and find where is this needing to fit in? Where does God need to bring this into, into who I am, my mind, my, my emotions, my intellect? Now, I want us to consider this question. Why don't we apply? Why does Jesus even need to teach this lesson, right? Why does he have to say, look, don't just hear it. Remember, put it into practice, why is it easier to hear scripture than to hear it and do something about it? I think there are at least three reasons why we don't apply. And one of them is that it's difficult, right? It's really hard to apply. I mean, just think about some of the teachings that we've discovered and, and heard again in Sermon on the Mount. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you. And we love that teaching. We think it's, it's a beautiful idea, but it is a really painful reality, isn't it? I mean, do you, do you, have you ever tried to, to pray for a next-door neighbor who has it out for you? You know, for whatever reason, they're, they're just super hostile. Have you tried to care for and be kind to somebody like that? There, there's nothing romantic about that. It is, it is a very painful experience. And you know what it's going to require? It's going to require courage. It's going to take courage to choose to obey loving our enemies as Jesus has taught but what you'll find as you, as you, you know, step courageously into putting that into practice, what you'll find is that the reason Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us is because he knows it's next to impossible to hate someone while you're praying for them. Right? What we'll discover if, you know, if we just say, Jesus, I, I don't want to, but I'm, I'm going to put this into practice. I'm going to love my enemy, you know, that, that neighbor that can't stand me. What you'll find is that as you pray for them for a week, for a couple weeks, for a month, even just once a day, you'll find that your, your heart will, will soften towards him over that time. And you'll be in a different place by the end of that. Pray for those who persecute you. It's not easy. It's going to take courage. But one of the reasons that Jesus says, look, you need to apply. One of the reasons we don't is because it's difficult. It's hard. A, a second reason why, why we don't apply is that it's scary. I mean, it can be frightening to, to obey the Lord, right, to, to apply Jesus' teachings. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. You know, we don't know where this is going to go. And again, Sermon on the Mount, in, in chapter 5, Jesus says, well, let's turn the tables here, and, and what if you're the enemy? What if you're somebody else's enemy? And he says, look, if you're offering your gift at, at the table, you're there to offer it to me, to, to worship me, and you realize, you know, a brother or sister in Christ has something that they're holding against you, he says, leave that gift there. He says, pause, pause your worship and wait. And what I want you to do first is I want you to, to go and to do what you can to be reconciled 
Do, do what you can to seek reconciliation with that person. Then come back. Then worship me. But again, it, you know, have you done that? Man, it is really hard. It's really scary. Then how's this going to turn out? Oftentimes we don't know. How's the conversation going to go? Are they going to turn on us? Are they going to laugh at us? I mean, is it going to be awkward? So fear sometimes will keep us from doing that. And you know what? It's going to require faith, right? It's going, going to take faith that, that my role, my responsibility is simply to obey Jesus in this, to go and to seek reconciliation, and then to trust him, to, to have faith that the results will be up to him. How that conversation goes, I, you know, I can influence that, but I can't determine that. I'm going to have to trust that with God. My, my faith is in, is in God as I seek to do what, what I can control and not to do what I can't. So a second reason that we don't apply is because it's scary. It can be frightening. Um, it's difficult. It takes courage. It's scary. It takes faith. And then third, that there are so many easier substitutes for application. There's so many other options that, that kind of fulfill us, that make us feel like, okay, we've done what we need to do with this sermon. And I'll give you two. One is insight. Insight. I mean, don't you love the euphoria of finding something new in Scripture, seeing something that you haven't seen before? Uh, maybe making a new connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That, that's really thrilling. And we, we love insight so much that oftentimes we will mistakenly judge, you know, a, a Bible lesson or a Bible study based on how many new things we learned. But the problem with that is that oftentimes we settle for the mental satisfaction of learning some new insight. But if we haven't taken that insight and, and embedded it into our souls, into our relationship with God and with others, then we're no godlier than when we started. And so one easier substitute for application is insight. I think this is probably the one that, that stops most of us from getting to that next step of application. But it's not just insight. Another, another substitute for application is we apply to someone else, right? It's like, oh, man, I know somebody who needs to hear this sermon or read that passage. It's a friend or it's a family member or, or maybe even an enemy, you know? It's like they need to hear this. And they probably do, right? That's the reality. They, they probably do. We have good reason for thinking that. But the problem is that if we stop there and we haven't brought it into our own souls, then, then we've missed it. We've missed what Jesus says we are, we are to be all about when we come into uh, reading his word, reading his scripture. So why don't we apply? It's difficult. It takes courage. It, it's scary. It requires faith. And there's, there's many easier substitutes, right? Insight, applying to someone else. And then the last question I want us to consider in this passage is if the wise always applies, then what does the wise person gain from applying the word of God to her life? You know, what, what does it benefit us to put Jesus' words into practice? How will we be blessed? Because Jesus tells us, he tells us in this story how we're going to be blessed if we do that. Now let's go back to the passage to see what that is. Jesus is going to say this. He's going to say, our house will stand when storms come. That's how we'll benefit. Look, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, we're going to look at the whole story this time. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat, uh, blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, what do we gain from applying the words of Scripture to our lives? 
Jesus says, our house will stand when storms come. And the reality is that when you look at this story, you look at this teaching, when do the wise and the fool find out what kind of builders they've been? You know, when do they find out how they've been building? When do they find out if they've been indeed wise or foolish? When do they find out that they've been putting Jesus' words into practice? It's not till the storms come, right? It's not until the, the wind is, is beating against their home that they discover whether or not they've been building wisely. So when the temptation knocks or the crisis comes, that's when we find out whether we've been wise or we've been foolish with, with the words of God. And the problem is, when a storm is pounding your house, that's no time to try and reinforce the foundation. Right? By then, it's too late. And so when temptation is slamming against your door and, and you're sitting across the desk from your CEO who's telling you you need to fabricate the numbers for the presentation you're about to give to the company, it'll be too late to try to gain moral convictions. It'll be far too late to try to forge godly character, to, to engender the, the courage that you're going to need in that moment to stand firm. You'll either have it or you won't. When crises, when, when they come flooding into our lives and, and you're suddenly lying in a hospital bed and you don't know for how long, it's gonna be too late to negotiate whether or not you really believe in God's goodness. You won't have time to figure out if you have faith in God's providence in every situation. You'll either have that faith or you won't. It'll be too late. So you can't patch a, a massive hole in a boat when you're surrounded by waves and they're crashing into you. It's too late. And so what do you do? Whether we stand firm or fall with a great crash, what it's going to depend on in those moments is, is how we've been building in, in the hours, the days, the weeks, the months leading up to those temptations, those crises, when those storms hit. It's going to be what, how have we been building. It's when the sun is out and the wind is tame and it's calm and the waters are not rising. That's when we have to be the wise, the wise person who's taking truth after truth after truth from God's word and looking around in our lives and figuring out where we're gonna take that truth in and make it part of who we are. That's how you gain the courage and the faith that you'll need for the hurricanes of life. That's what Jesus says. You know, Christian saints of old, they became saints not simply by hearing or knowing God's word. They became saints because they acted on God's word. When it was hardest, when it was scariest to put one of Jesus' teachings into practice, they developed courage and faith, the courage and faith that they would later need. They developed that courage and faith by, by acting on it, by doing it, by moving forward, by putting it into practice, even when it hurt. And when the storms came, they were able to stand. They were able to stand firm. They were ready. That's how Christian saints are made today as well. See, when you put Scripture into practice, you won't be a spiritual swamp. No, you'll be like this. A living stream that flows freely and brings life and refreshment to everything and to everyone it touches. Do you want to be like that?
So do I. So do I. That's what Jesus wants for us too. Let's go to him in prayer now. Let's ask him to, to do that in our souls. Make us a living stream. Lord Jesus, we ask you, we beg you, that, that you might make us not simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That whenever we encounter your, your word, your scripture, that, that we would be looking for how we're going to uh, work that into the substance of who we are, our character, with the help of your spirit. And with the, the writer of Hebrews, I pray this for us. I pray this for Grace Covenant Church. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may that same God of peace equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all of Grace Covenant Church said, Amen.